the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What are the essential marks of a disciple in Christ? Well, we have some answers for you. Join us. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. You believe you're in the will of God. You're doing the things that you believe are pleasing to the Lord. But there are times that we question whether or not we are actually a disciple of Christ. Well, here in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, we have three essential marks of a disciple, and they're expressed by none other than Mary of Bethany. We would invite you to spend time with us today as we look at Luke chapter 10 and the three essential marks of a disciple. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner now with today's broadcast. I first met Mary of Bethany in Scripture in the mid-70s, and have always been impressed with her. She, beneath Christ, will be the focus of our study today. In this little vignette about Mary and Martha, Luke shows his literary artistic ability in placing it right after the parable of the Good Samaritan. And what is the parable of the Good Samaritan about? It is about loving your neighbor. Then comes the story of Mary and Martha. And the point is, as important as loving your neighbor is, to love the Lord is far more important as well as submitting yourself to his word. Now, Bethany was about two miles from Jerusalem. And remember, during this whole section of Luke, Jesus has set his face resolutely towards Jerusalem to die on the cross for us. And we read about three events in Mary and Martha's life in Scripture. The first event is the story here in Luke 10. The second we'll look at later in John 11, having to do with the death and the resurrection of Lazarus. And then the third time is the 12th chapter of John, where Jesus is at another dinner party and Mary anoints his feet. And what impresses me about Mary is that every time you read about her, She is always sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now let's look at this story. Luke tells us about Mary and her Lord. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he stops with his company of disciples and others who always travel with him for dinner at Martha's house, where Mary, her youngest sister, and Lazarus also live. Now Mary is what you would call the original Martha Stewart. And she's making a dinner fit for a Messiah and his friends. While she's hard at work in the kitchen, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And this was an important and precious moment to Martha, having Jesus in her house. This man who had so many enemies was wearied by travel, no place to lay his head. Now under his roof, her roof, And it is her responsibility 
to take care of him. So as she is concerned with all this, with Jesus and probably about 15 to 20 other people who just dropped in for dinner, she becomes distracted with all of the preparations. By the way, that word distracted or cumbered in Greek means to allow your attention to wander, which means she may have tried to sit at Jesus' feet with Mary, but all the details of dinner kept coming up and she couldn't focus her attention on what Jesus was saying. So Martha becomes agitated at her sister sitting in the living room and listening to Jesus. She feels frustrated because Mary was surely where she wanted to be. In serving Jesus, Martha forgot that Jesus had come to serve, not to be served. And although he gladly accepted the hospitality of his friends, he always came to them in order to give them far more than they could ever give to Jesus. And Mary had not forgotten that. Martha probably saw Jesus too much as an object of her motherly love and affection and too little as her great host who came to care for her. So in verses 41 and 42, we read about a tender and affectionate rebuke that Jesus gives to Martha. Now before we look at that rebuke, the picture here is Martha coming out of the kitchen and Bear in mind, it wasn't like our modern kitchens today. I mean, she probably does have servants, but she has to lead them. They've got to kill a lamb. They've got to dig up some vegetables. They may have had to grind wheat. Someone had to keep the fire going. There are all kinds of things going on here. Meanwhile, Jesus is in the living room, and Mary is sitting at his feet. Now, it's not unusual for us today to see women presented as Jesus' disciples sitting at his feet to be taught by him. But I'll tell you, some of the rabbis of Jesus' day thought that that was an atrocious thing. In fact, here's a quote from one of the rabbis who said, Better to burn the law of God than to teach it to women. That's not me, ladies. <laughs> That's a rabbi from the, actually the 5th century. But here Mary is nevertheless not worried about what the rabbis think of her. And, and in this we see Jesus' willingness to consider women as worthy students. And we see his approval of Mary's interest in intellectual and theological matters. In fact, throughout the book of Luke, you see Luke's tender attitude toward women. He brings up women in the life of Jesus far more than any other gospel writer. And here the Lord Jesus Christ impresses us with what we read later in Paul. Remember, in Christ there is neither male nor female. As far as enjoying and inheriting the blessings of salvation is concerned. Our text points out that Jesus was not only Mary's teacher, but Jesus was Mary's Lord. The text said that she sat at his feet to hear the Lord's word. And what was Martha doing? Martha was rec recognized Jesus as her Lord also. And she was in the kitchen doing everything she knew to do to please her Lord. Well, what is the difference between Mary and Martha then? 
It's not that Martha was worldly minded and Mary was spiritually minded. That's not the contrast here. Nor is Jesus encouraging laziness among his disciples. Mary said at Jesus' feet at this point in time, but that's not to say that that was the only thing she did with her time. There is a time to hear and there is a time to put into practice what's being learned. Mary was putting into practice what she was learning. But now was the time to hear. Jesus' life was coming to an end. Now these sisters were related to each other not only by blood but by faith. They both loved the Lord Jesus Christ and they both wanted to serve him. So what's the difference? I read a sermon on this subject that was preached 1,600 years ago by Augustine. And he brilliantly pointed out the difference between Mary and Martha. And I'm going to paraphrase it here for you. He says, Martha welcomed Jesus into her home as a handmaiden would receive her Lord. As the sick would receive the Savior, as a creature would receive the Creator. And she received him into her home to feed him physical food as he came into her home to give her spiritual food. Jesus took upon himself the form of a servant, condescended and humbled himself to be fed by his servants. Martha, who was preparing to feed the Lord, was occupied with much effort serving Him, while Mary goes to feed, to be fed by the Lord. Martha was troubled with much serving. Mary was feasting. Both occupations were good. One was better. One was busy. The other was still. One was giving of herself. The other was being filled. Martha was intent on how she might feed the Lord. Mary was intent on how she might be fed by the Lord. Martha was preparing a feast for the Lord. Mary was feasting on the Lord's word. And then Augustine says, As Mary then was listening with sweet pleasure to his most sweet words and was feeding with the most earnest affection when the Lord was appealed to by her sister. For by a wonderful sweetness was she held, a sweetness of the mind, which is doubtless greater than that of the senses. A person who craves the word of God and the spiritual nourishment that it gives knows that what that sweetness is all about. He understands the sweetness and the delicious nature of the word of God. You know, there's a phrase in First Peter where it says, as newborn babies crave milk, we are to crave the word of God. And in that passage, it then says, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. But that's not what the Greek says. The Greek says that as you crave the word of God and you devour it, you taste that the Lord is deliciously sweet. And that's what Mary was doing. Now, notice this tender rebuke. Look at verse 41. The Lord answered her, that is Martha, whom he had urged her, who she had urged him to get Mary into the kitchen. And he said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. 
Now you know Jesus loved Mary. Martha loved Mary and Jesus loved Martha. And if you go over to John 11.5, you see this sentence. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. John could have said that Jesus loved all of Martha's family, which Jesus, of course, did. But he wanted you and I to know that Jesus had a special love for each of them. And we see this in how he introduces his rebuke. Martha, Martha. This was an old Palestinian expression of tenderness. You know, I remember when I was young and my mom would be frustrated with me. And as an expression of love, she would say, Gary, Gary. She wasn't mad at me. She was just trying to get my attention and to let me know that I was headed toward dangerous territory. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha. What did Jesus say to Paul on the road to Damascus? Saul, Saul. What did Jesus say when he prayed over Israel, over Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. What did David say when his son rebelled against him? Oh, Absalom, Absalom. Martha, Martha. He loved Martha. Her problem was that in making this elaborate dinner because she loved the Lord Jesus Christ so much, she was distracted by all of her responsibilities in the kitchen. So she deprived herself of the advantage of Jesus, the Son of God, being in her home, who would be dead in six months. Martha was allowing the responsibilities and the duties of life to keep her from sitting at the feet of Jesus. So Jesus calls upon Martha to make the same choice Mary made. Now this is a call to both Mary and Martha to discipleship that centers around the study of God's word by both men and women. Because you see, everything else in life is second to this. He says, Martha, Mary made the right choice. Only a few things are necessary. Really, only one thing. For Mary has chosen the good part. Some commentators think that Jesus is saying, you know, a few things are necessary. Listen, don't prepare a big meal the only thing we really need is fried chicken and mashed potatoes and green beans. That's it. Actually, we just need a little chicken. Well, we don't need a lot of things. We just need a few things. Actually, we only need one dish. No. Beloved is far more profound than that. As important as all these other things are that are going around Martha, there is only one thing necessary. And Mary chose that one thing. Mary chose that better part, that good part. Now, what is that one good thing that's necessary and everything else is secondary? What is the one good thing that is necessary? It is listening intently to the Lord's word and to make that our top priority of life. The one thing necessary was wholehearted love for Jesus Christ that shows itself in a passion to be taught by him. 
This devout and all-consuming attention to Jesus' word has been throughout all the ages of the church, the prime mark of all true disciples, my beloved. The question is, does it describe you? Are there things in your life that take higher priority than Christ and your devotion to Him and your desire to be instructed by Him? What does fill your life? Your moments, your, your thinking, your, your planning. To receive the word of Christ with a surrendered heart is better and more important than anything else that you do in this life. It is better than any good work. It is better than any sacrifice. It is better than any suffering you experience before Him. And to turn away your heart from that word. To close your heart to that word. To let life cry, crowd out that word is always fatally to us spiritually, my friends. Now, although Luke doesn't say this, surely Jesus' rebuke was effective. And I have no reason not to think that after Jesus rebuked Martha, she took off her apron and she sat down by Mary at Jesus' feet. And then when Jesus was finished with his lesson... They both returned to the kitchen and finished cooking the meal. And the point is, there is a time for all of God's demands on us in this life. Every demand that God places on us as his people will never be able to say, if we are ordering our lives as we should, Lord, I didn't have time to do what you told me to do. How much of your life is filled with things that are not commanded to us by the Lord Jesus Christ? God has given us all 24 hours, and that is all the time any of us need to do everything according to priorities that God has commanded us to do in His Word. And top priority is sitting close to Jesus, sitting at His feet. Now, staying close to Jesus and maintaining a life of intimacy with Him, learning about God and life from Him is not that complicated. It's the same as it has always been. Let me give you a little formula. Prayer plus the Word of God plus time equals intimacy with Christ. Prayer plus reading and reflecting on the Word of God Plus time, that is, taking the time to do these things, is what is necessary to have an intimate relationship with Christ. Taking time out of your busy schedule to hear the Word of God, preached and taught whenever the opportunity is given to you. Taking time out of your busy schedule to have worship with your family, to, to teach your family. Take time to pray and read the Bible and reflect on what you have read by yourself. That's the only formula that he's given us. And it is a formula that still works. It is the key to intimacy and closeness to Christ. Prayer plus the word of God plus time daily. And on the Sabbath equals intimacy with Christ. This story of Mary and Martha is about discipleship and the priorities of discipleship. Both women were disciples of Jesus. Both were trying to please Him. But Jesus told Martha that at this point in time, Mary had made a better choice. And that was to sit quietly at Jesus' feet and learn from Him. Martha, some activities, as important as they may be, can wait. 
Each of us is responsible for setting appropriate priorities for our lives. And the way we spend our lives and the way we spend our time and schedule our days. Discipleship is always a balance of service and reflection. And by reflection, I mean time spent alone with Jesus, which is usually the first thing to be crowded out of our schedules. However, our service to Christ will be ineffective without these quiet times. And it will be ineffective because it will not be energized spiritually by spending time at Jesus' feet. So how can you work these quiet times into your life? Maybe for some people, it means getting up earlier. Maybe for others, it means staying up just a little longer. And for others, it means simply scheduling your time for once in your life. It means for other people not wasting those precious moments when you're all alone. Maybe it means you need to turn off the television, put down that book, stop playing video games, stop texting your friends, stay off of Facebook, or just get rid of that account altogether like I did and pick up your Bible. Now before I go on, let me ask you some questions. Based on how you spend your time, what is an honest assessment of your priorities? What receives top priority in your life? Fun, pleasure, earning money, friends, what? Jesus? Is it feeding your family, loving your wife, taking care of your children, taking care of your own health? These are all good things. But remember, Mary chose the good part. Are you more often a Mary or a Martha? Has this changed as you have matured spiritually? If Martha had joined Mary at Jesus' feet, who would have prepared the meal? And would, when, when would they have eaten it? They would have both gotten up and finished the meal after feeding on the words of Jesus. If sitting at Jesus' feet was your top priority... Where would you sit with him in your house? Hopefully, somewhere quiet. What time of day or night would you sit down with him? And how long would you be able to sit with him? Now, this is the first time we read about Mary. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus to be instructed. The second time we read about Mary and Martha it is in John 11. Let's turn there. In John 11... There are 46 verses about them, and the story is based around the death of Lazarus. Notice something, though, first in John 12, before we look at chapter 11. Notice how it begins in verses 1 and 2. In case you're confused, John 12, verses 1 and 2. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus saved from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Jesus was reclining at this table. He wasn't sitting in the living room this time teaching Mary. He was with Lazarus and probably about 15 to 20 other people in the room, and he was reclining at this table. In those days, they ate at a table with very short legs, reclining on pillows or something equivalent to a small couch. And Jesus was one of the ones reclining around that table. And guess who was serving? 
Martha. No words about her being frustrated or agitated this time. Not one rebuke from Jesus whatsoever. Martha was cooking and serving dinner. Around 16 guests, including Jesus. No indication whatsoever that she was anxious. So what changed in Martha? Well, first of all, I'm sure she learned from Jesus' earlier rebuke. Let me ask you another question. We have one dinner where Martha is rebuked, and she's agitated and frustrated, and another dinner where Martha is doing the same thing, calmer, and she's not rebuked. What took place in between those two dinners? The death of her younger brother. Because you see, God knows how to grab our attention and slow us down. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together.